everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Wrap right here on the Fight Game Media Network. It is SummerSlam the morning after. It is SummerSlam the day after as we jump into a brand new week in WWE. Happy Sunday to you all. I'm Keela Cash, and by my side is my right-hand man, my co-captain, the sometimes advocate for Von Wagner, the wise man himself, and back as a member of Maximum Male Models after one week of taking a powder. I bring to you as always, Salty Scott Young. Welcome back, Salty. Nope, 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 nope. Not not today. Not today. After uh after tonight's show, I am uh, I'm Perky Scott, man. I I, I am full of energy and full of life. Keela, it's always a pleasure to chop it up and talk all things WWE with you. And yes, you know, the the M cubed is back. We have our leader back, and uh, I'm back. But uh, it's not about me. It's not about our group. It's it's about SummerSlam, and I, I'm excited to talk about it. Me too. And you know what? This is the first time you've blessed a people with Perky Scott on the free feed. Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, uh, you got a lot of things to do for the ladies. Uh, the ladies did a Well, let me rephrase that. The first, you know, five ladies that you saw, you got a lot of thanks for them and uh, that main event. The, uh, the the Looney Tunes, the WB Animaniac show that they put on, uh, I you know, you got all them to thank for me being Perky Scott. And though not a lot of salt, but you will hear the salty scale today. That is lovely. I thought this was a great bookended show. Great opener, great main event. Really, the first hour was good, and then it kind of took a turn during the second hour or so, rebounded at the end. But I thought, all in all, this is a fine show live from Nissan Arena. I'm sorry, Nissan Stadium in Nashville, Tennessee, Jimmy Smith. And I want to offer some stats because, you know, WWE likes to inflate the numbers for their crowd. And the crowd jumped from 40,000 to 45,000. And then Mayor Kane of Knoxville got in the ring and told me that we got 48,000 people in the building. So in three hours, this goddamn attendance jumped three times. Well, you know, I mean, we had the opening, like I said, the opening match was such a barn burner. People were going out saying, Hey, yo, they just opened up seats after that match. Come on and get to the show. We got time. 8,000 people came during just to see Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns during the course of the show. It it was a spectacle. Um, I, I hope somebody got that on camera because that is one of the most fascinating things that the quote-unquote, I, I can't even use air quotes to use the word great when I describe this guy, when Glenn came out and talked about the 8,000 attendance jump. Oh, Glenn, let me tell you what Glenn can do. What Glenn can do is take some of them flames and shove them up you know where and go sit his tail back in his chair because we don't need him on TV. I know he's the mayor of Knoxville. Send him him back to parts unknown. You know, I just want to know who the hell left the gate open for him. Come on. And for those 8,000 extra fans that just stormed in after the show started. But most importantly, Scott, I had no idea that we were ushering in a new era in WWE, WrestleMania SummerSlam was a great show. Fantastic. <laughs> so, I, I, let me, was that something they said on the show? 
No, I'm okay, talking I just about that to People sure. magazine. If I, they said it, I swear to God, I would have flipped. Hey, look, let me tell you. I saw that on the People magazine. I'm like, yo, why y'all do that, man? Y'all, Because my first thought was, oh, man, y'all done gave them a, an idea. Now they about to start calling this thing WrestleMania SummerSlam. But then I remembered the guy who would do that, he's not there anymore. So that thought kind of left my, my my head pretty quickly. But yeah, that uh, that People's magazine. Like, why, come on, man. Do Do better by Bianca. Do, do better by Bianca. She deserves better. Yes, I will never forget when I was a little kid and we had a local station that would have a homework hotline and I was watching WWE at the time. And this lady, I swear to God, this is how botched and out of touch people are when it comes to wrestling sometimes. She got on a live TV screen. It was a, tri- a trivia question about Vince McMahon. And you know how she pronounced Vince's last name? Oh, <laughs> come on <laughs> come on <laughs> I can't wait to hear this let me compose myself because I still remember this to this day she called the man Vince McMahon Vince she got, McMahon she got let go the next day <laughs> I can say <laughs> what <laughs> Where'd she get that from? I have no idea. The fact I remember it is still crazy, but she never helped me solve a math problem again after that. So I was good. What you needed to be doing was questioning the math that she helped you solve before that. That's what you needed to be doing after you heard her pronounce. What'd you say? Hey, you know what? Let me know everything you taught me because I need to go and just double check that with somebody real quick. Double check and verify because Mac Mahone is not how you say that name. <laughs> I'll never forget it as long as I live. It sticks with me to this day, and I had to share it on the air for the first time ever with anyone. So that was special. As we get into the first ever Vince Mac Mahone list, <laughs> SummerSlam going down live from Nissan Stadium in Nashville, Tennessee, the first start of the Triple H era. And I think that he had a good show. It was mixed in areas, but I think that we're going to see the true vision of what Triple H wants to do in WWE starting on Monday and hopefully thank God on Friday too because that show definitely needs a hard reset as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think you saw inklings of it. And one thing I don't, I think that, you know, everybody just kind of has to understand. I think a good majority of people do is you're just not going to see these massive overhauls. You know, you're going to see bits and pieces and some some pieces may be bigger than others, but you're not just going to see tune in one day and be like, holy crap, what show is this? You're going to see small things that gradually build up. So I'm liking the small pieces that are being put in place right now. Yes, I see the vision. He's trying to get through with this booking that was left behind before Vince's departure. And we're going to get a clean slate, hopefully on Monday. But I like the less camera cuts, the uh, there there was less zooming, which I appreciated. Less video packages was even better to make the show kind of flow faster. Things did get cut for time due to one match running long, which we'll get to shortly. But let's kick things off with the Raw Women's Championship match involving Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch to run it back to where it started last year at SummerSlam in Las Vegas, Nevada, when Becky Lynch came back to beat Bianca Belair in 26 seconds for the SmackDown Women's Championship. I remember I was pissed off, mad, angry at the outcome. But for WWE to tell this story for a year, from SummerSlam to Extreme Rules to a great match they had on Monday Night Raw late last year to WrestleMania, 
to right now to close out this feud in the best possible way by telling a different story via their matches every single time. None of their matches are the same, which makes this feud one of the best I've seen in the women's division in years. Bianca Belair, I think with, you know, not not only this feud, but just her, I, I feel like she is, you know, quickly establishing herself and separating herself from the pack. And that includes the four horsewomen. I mean, she is creating her own lane. And, you know, I, I, and including me, I was completely opposed to Becky being this heel, even though I know, you know, that she, that's what she wanted and she was invested in it. But to get to where we are now and for the crowd to still be invested in this story and still care as much as they do for both of these women it's a testament to how good they are because this story has been fumbled a little bit in certain places. You know, this has not been a perfect story that they've told throughout this year. But for this culmination to feel like a real culmination, you know, and I hate saying that when WrestleMania is supposed to be the culmination of all things. But this felt like that culmination. Like this truly did have that feel to it. And I... I love the, the energy that this had. Bianca Belair, <laughs> I, you know, for my money, she feels like the biggest baby face in WWE right now. Roman may be the biggest star in WWE. Bianca Belair is the biggest baby face on that roster. Drew McIntyre is that guy that, you know, on the guy side, but he's not Bianca Belair. Like there is a genuine love for her. And I, I love watching her matches and the history that she just continues to make. This match was everything. It started off with great energy. The crowd was completely invested. Becky, I thought Becky looked great out here. Um, Bianca just has this incredible combination of power, speed, and like she can do literally anything in the ring. And we saw that. We saw her catch Becky and throw her with power bombs. We saw her lift Becky up with one arm. We saw her do drop a power bomb and go right into a moonsault. We saw her do all these incredible hit a Spanish fly right into the KOD. Just an incredible finishing sequence. And during the match, just some great moments. Becky has one of my favorite little spots that she does is when people go for the leapfrog and I'm surprised more people don't counter with that she just grabs the leg and brings them right down I, I love that little move right there there was a little bit of chain wrestling going on as far as countering stuff like that I think they told a great story is Becky being desperate you know and Bianca being like and Bianca being confident and saying you know I want more let's go and Becky being like yo I have to beat you and the the two complete different spectrums that they were telling in the match. And that's at least the story that I was seeing. And, you know, we're going to talk about this throughout the show, but I thought the commentary was, was pretty strong throughout. I thought Corey Graves did a good job tonight. I, I thought he was pretty good throughout, and especially when he links up with Michael Cole later on. But I, I this match was, I can't think of a better way to start this show. 
Yes. And ironically enough, we had two cell jobs of a shoulder injury. I think Becky's was, was a bit more legit because she took the glam slam and it actually hurt her right shoulder and she was favoring it for the majority of this match. And meanwhile, she went after the left shoulder of Bianca Belair. So selling and kayfabe in real life is definitely on hand here. But Becky soldiered through, landed a diamond dust, which was a nice throwback move from her for a near fall. I love the KOD by Bianca Belair on the floor and Becky hitting the manhandle slam for a very close near fall. Got a flashback to last year's SummerSlam, but they just know each other so well and their chemistry is on point. And as you mentioned, that Spanish fly into the KOD, that transition was everything and Becky's cell of the KOD, the flat landing finish square in the middle of the ring. Absolutely outstanding. And one other thing that can't be undersold is Bianca Belair's reaction to winning this match. And and her feeling like, you know, I, I just took, I finally put it into the demons. Because you know what, it, it really does make sense for her to want to vanquish that demon that's in SummerSlam. Because that's going to always be in the back of her mind. Yo, I got beat in 26 seconds. Like, what in the world happened? So, uh, the, the excitement and, and the exasperation and just the relief that you could see in her face, that's great storytelling. You know, that's, 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 those are the little things that she's doing that are adding to this. And like you mentioned, the extra oomph that was put into that last KOD, like, you are, hey, I don't care, you are not getting up from this one. This, the story of this match, they told it beautifully. And again, it felt like a culmination. Please, God. Well, they're they're not going to, but just, you know, now that they're, well, we'll get to that here in a second. But now that they're going to be kind of working alongside each other, I'm glad we won't see them going against each other. I'd rather them not be in the ring together, but I think what we'll get going forward is going to work out pretty well. Yes, and after the match is over, Becky offered her hand to Bianca Belair. Becky, obvious, um, Bianca obviously was a bit hesitant at first, but she shook the hand. They hugged it out. It was like a nice full circle moment because for Bianca Belair, the cloud has been lifted. After winning at WrestleMania, the job wasn't finished. You had to right the wrong at SummerSlam at the scene of the crime last year to get the win back to be the better woman. And Becky realized, you know what? She's a better woman in every way, and I respect that. And I thought, thank God we can cheer Becky again with our full chest because she was always miscast as a heel. And even though she tried her best, the fans love her too much. They just kind of half-heartedly boo her, but deep down she's so over and so damn likable that you can't boo her for too long. But let's talk about what happened after the match, shall we? Yeah, and and to that point before we start, when she put put her hand out, the crowd was already cheering before Bianca even made a move. Like they're like you said, they're already ready for it. And Bianca's the right person to turn her. And then we get Bailey coming back. You know, and the reaction that Bailey got was that of someone who has been missed for over a year. And man, she got a hero's welcome. And so then Bailey comes out, she, you know, she's she's talking her smack and Bianca, she's probably getting flashbacks again like, well, 
At least I know I don't have to have a match. That's the first, that's probably the first thing that went through my, at least I know I'm not having a match. So that's good. But she's like, yo, what in the world's going on with y'all horse women always coming and interrupting me during SummerSlam? That's two years in a row. What the hell going on? Next thing you know, Dakota Kai came out. She get real excited for that. I I don't remember if they changed her name or not. I wasn't paying that close attention to that because it wasn't until the next name that I really started paying attention to it. But Bianca had to look like, okay, well, we got Dakota. And Dakota comes out. Now, Dakota and Bailey, that makes sense. They could both be heels. Okay, I like that. Next out comes EO Sky. And yes, that is formerly EO Shirai. I don't mind the EO Sky name, by the way. That is... Not that bad of a name. It fits her character. She flies anyway. So, that, I mean, that's that's perfect. I, I think it's perfect. I, EO Sky is not that bad. She comes out and listen, I don't care about the name. EO, regardless of what you want to say her last name is, is going to be on the main roster. Mixing it up with a now seasoned Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, Dewdrop, Rhea Ripley, like these are all potential matches that we can now get with Io Shirai on the main roster, Dakota Kai, like, so then we get this power couple, they come in the ring, Bailey thinks it's going to be y'all, you know, they come, nah, this ain't no picnic, they are not coming to be a part of your cookout, this is not your celebration (laughs) cookout that they coming to be a part of, let me tell you that, and then here comes Becky Lynch as we complete the face turn, this is the moment that we had talked about what was going to be because Keely, you and I have been talking about this for months. You know what the end game of Becky Lynch becoming a babyface and what that moment was going to be, and that promo still has to happen. But this was that moment when she came and stood side by side with this woman who she just went to war with for a year, a year, and gave that respect to like, yeah, you earned my respect, you got it. And now she comes and stands toe-to-toe, outnumbered, by the way. That's, let's add that in there. That's another optic to add in there. They were outnumbered, still outnumbered. Even before Bianca was like, come on, Becky Lynch is like, yo, us two can still take you three, come on. The heels back off. The two outnumbered baby faces do a baby face thing, stand tall. Now we're fully behind Becky Lynch. She's still got to cut that promo. And I think she, I think the man is going to come out and will cut that promo. But I this opening match and aftermath and everything about this, this was as perfect a way to start SummerSlam as you could do. It was outstanding. The match, the post-match, seeing Baylor return, hearing her hear fans for the first time in two years. She hasn't heard that in two years. Think about that. And it was a beautiful moment. Then Dakota Kai comes out. I kept saying for weeks on this show, I don't know why y'all fired Dakota Kai. I was very upset. I cut a promo on this show about it for those last NXT cuts. She's back. And that was a clear sign. Vince don't live here no more. Welcome to the Triple H administration. Then EO Sky comes out. She's free from the PC. She's free from Florida. She's on the main roster at long last. And Scott, I was openly salivating with all due respect with the thought of EO versus Rhea, EO versus mm. Dewdrop, EO versus Asuka. Come mm. on. Woo! Like these matches are going to be fucking incredible. Dakota Kai on the main roster somebody told you two months ago we don't see anything for you on the main roster well you're gone and i see it for her and she's got a lot of combinations to against the same people i mentioned and she's so much better as a heel and bailey 
Bailey finishing what she did with Bianca Belair last summer. I want the I quit match. I still need it at some point. And all of this fell into place perfectly. And Triple H is like, listen, I can do surprise debuts and returns too. I can give the people what they want. I gave you a sample of what you're going to get under this new creative administration. And I loved it. I loved this first 30 minutes so much. And you you already brought up who the third woman can easily be, who can be that main event level woman, who can put on those bangers, the Oscar. I mean, good lord, you want to? I mean, that's that's a, your little, that's a little, that's a women's version of a raw six right there going on. I mean, just I I love any combination of those six going at it. Becky Bailey, Becky Dakota, EO, I mean, EO Asuka, EO, like all, any combination of that is incredible. You throw Dewdrop in there, throw Rhea in there. That Raw roster now is very deep when you really look at it. Now, I, you know, we don't need to be talking about tag titles or anything like that. I'm, I'm sorry because they don't care about them. So we don't need to be talking about them. But if we just talking a women's roster going after Bailey and who Bailey has to look down the line like, God dang, look who I got to work with. Raw's looking very nicely. And Nikki A.S.H. can still go. Like, she's still who she is in the rings with a stupid gimmick. She's still good in the ring. So I, the Raw women's roster looks very nice with those three additions. Yes, as it stands right now, a damn good division. Of course, the draft will shake things up, but the core of Bailey, EO, and Dakota Kai, I love it. And I love the combo combination of Bianca, Becky, and Asuka. Those six women tags would be great. And I'm not even, I'm not going to think about the women's tag team titles. Yeah, we need more teams and we need the return of Sasha and Naomi to make this right. And I think that might be coming down the line soon as well. We need more teams. We need a team. We need 10. <laughs> 10 teams. 10. Hey, you asking a lot, Keela. Can we get two? Can we get two teams? Not four women. Let's go for can four. Get- let's let's go for four and then we can double every other week. <laughs> Again, I, I All right. You know what? I got I, after tonight, I got more faith than I did before. So, you know, I I'm with that. Yes. As we move on to our second match in the card, The Miz versus Dare I say my rookie of the year, Logan Paul. And we had the Miz, Maurice, and Ciampa decked out in green. I love the color scheme. Logan Paul rocks the WrestleMania gear once again from Dallas. And I have to say, this match exceeded expectations. The Miz is a celebrity match specialist. He showed up last night for Logan Paul. But Logan Paul is very good at this professional wrestling thing his second match ever and he delivers a match like this his athleticism his agility his timing this dude for two matches in is good and I know he wants to be a babyface, but they love to boo you but as I said recently the one way to win people over is by what you do in the ring and I think he went over a lot of people last night via what he was able to do in the ring including that absolutely insane batshit crazy frog splash to miss through the table with the height distance and elevation to boot hey man well why I guess there's never a need to bring back Shane McMahon you know why why would you bring back Shane McMahon when I can just get Logan Paul to do what you do and look even better and put on a better match like 
Hey, man, what can you say about Logan Paul? He did fantastic in this match. And, and, <laughs> and let me just throw this one out there. At least until he steps in the ring again, I don't want to hear a word about The Miz. <laughs> the Miz more than held his own. He did his thing. He he led Logan Paul to a an outstanding singles matchup following their outstanding tag team matchup. The listen, the Miz is not going to put on any five star matches. That's not going to happen. But what he is going to do is be able to take care of any celebrity or any type of any type of person that you want to get cheered heavily. Think about what they did with Bobby Lashley when he won his first WWE title. Who did they have him beat the ti- win the title from? The Miz. Because they knew the outpour he would get winning his first title. And they knew if he beat Drew, well, that's not going to work. Have him beat The Miz instead. They, the Miz has a purpose in that company and he serves it well. He's not being pushed as a main eventer right now. This is exactly where he needs to be. And Logan Paul is going to pick up so much from this. And I'm going to be honest with you. And my wife was actually watching this as well. And I put a picture of my uh, my tribal chief. He was watching this match. He was taking some notes. He, if you also peep very carefully, he was watching in the WWE style as he had that sideways turn to him with the neck, you know, with the neck turn. He had the whole thing yeah. going on. So so go go peep that. Uh, but she said she's very excited for next season of Ms. and Mrs., when we see the backstage of this match, because I, I'm actually curious about that, too, because I, I mean, this was a really good match. And this is probably, dare I say, <laughs> Miz's best match in a couple years. I agree. Outside of tags, this is his best yeah, this match since forever. I mean, he was good. And Logan Paul, the moonsault on the outside, the standing mm-hmm. moonsault in the ring, the blockbuster out of nowhere for the middle rope. And we get an assist from AJ Styles who shoes away Ciampa. Now, finally, under the Triple H administration, Ciampa will hopefully get to be Ciampa again and have a full-blown match against AJ Styles that goes longer for five minutes. And then we got Logan delivering a phenomenal forearm to AJ. Not to AJ, as he was thinking like AJ, but he delivered the phenomenal forearm to The Miz for a very close near fall. And the match comes down to The Miz grabbing the very expensive Pikachu trading card. And he's going to hit Logan Paul with it. Maurice is causing a distraction. And in the nick of time, Logan Paul ducks. And he is going to lead the Miz to Maurice. Maurice ducks. She avoids disaster. But that allows Logan Paul to hit that frog splash that I mentioned earlier. And then land the skull crushing finale. The Miz's move for the win. And he gets a pop from the crowd. They're loving it. He's over as a baby face. He did it. But you got to do more of this. and You got to be more endearing naturally to the audience. But dude put in back-to-back matches at WrestleMania and SummerSlam. And they were both good. This match was tremendous in my eyes in terms of pulling off everything and looking good while doing it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And... Let me let me just real quick. You know, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I did enjoy the match. But what exactly did the Miz think the Pokemon card was going to do as far as extra damage goes when he landed that shot? Did he think that he was going to land whatever attack was on the card? 
Like since it was a Pikachu card, did he think he was gonna land like a thunder punch or something? <laughs> did he yell Thunderbolt before he attacked and he thought that he was gonna use one of those Pokemon moves? Is that is that what what, what was going on there? I, I was he gonna bend the card and piss Logan Paul off? Like what and then of course Marie's ducked because she doesn't want to get punched in the face by her husband. Of course like what? This is like, why did that need to happen? Why couldn't he just run at Logan Paul and and he and him just move, you know, we, like a close, like a regular run at, bam, something simple. But no, we got to get the Pokemon card because it's got some steel plates on the outside so nobody can. Come on, man. Yeah, whose idea was this? Whose idea was this? Is Kevin Dunn still there? Because if he is, get him out of there. Is Bruce, that's, this is Bruce. This got to be Bruce. Here, here's a more important question. Does Bruce even know what Pokemon is? Oh, yeah. I'm sure he knows. It's 30 years old at this point. He knows what Pokemon is. <laughs> for him, hey, that's, wow, that's Martin for me. It's yeah, right. pushing 25. That's that's just where I'm at in terms of old shit. But yeah, he probably thought Pikachu, because she was lightning out of her ass. And they're like, surprise. Whoops. There you go. It's ridiculous, but yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the the, the phenomenal forearm that. So he really just put on a greatest hits, but he did a great job doing it. Like, there's nothing wrong with that because he's he's not a a quote unquote you know as a typical wrestler. So of course that's what somebody coming into the business would do. He would just do what he sees works, and, and this all makes complete sense. And Corey Grace is clever on commentary saying AJ Styles trained Logan Paul on the side. Like, very clever, Corey. That's mm-hmm. a possibility. And the finisher, obviously, was a way to stick it to Miz. But he did the greatest hits very well. And that frog splash, my God, that won the crowd over. Because dude caught distance. The, the stretch he did to get over to that table was outstanding. Loved it. Great match. And I'm going to, oh, um, my, my, for my salty scale, Bianca and Becky, they got four and a half salty tears. Uh, this match is it's going to get three and three quarter salty tears. That is very fair and reasonable. As we move on to our next matchup for the United States Championship, we got Bobby Lashley versus Theory, Mr. Money in the Bank 2022. And Theory thinks, well, I'm going to get the jump on Bobby Lashley by hitting him repeatedly, repeatedly with the Money in the Bank briefcase to get the jump on Bobby early on. But Bobby is the champ. He fights back, proceeds to beat Theory's ass. Theory does have some hope spots here and there. He does avoid a press slam by Bobby. But ultimately, Bobby catches mm. Theory. I can't even say how beautiful this was because he caught that man midair. The transition was sweet, then locked in the hurt lock. And Theory says, you know what? I got another match to do. I'm going to tap out immediately. And Bobby retains the United States Championship. I thought the finish was very sleek, very clever. And thankfully, this match did not overstay its welcome. Yeah, this could have been on Raw. Um, yeah, like this this could have been on Raw and we could have got Sheamus and Drew McIntyre's banger that they mm-hmm. had on SmackDown here instead. But we got what we got. You mentioned the finish. Theory went for his uh, through the ropes, either drop kick or blockbuster, whichever one he was going for. And Lashley caught this man in a military press already fully extended with the ease. Like this man was just some paper. I mean, it was like that he was holding up a cardboard box about to take out the recycling from work. This was incredible. And then he drops him smoothly into the hurt lock, taps out quick. 
Lashley deserves better. I, you know, I know he's the United States champion, but he he should be in showcase matches. He should have he should have went after Rollins. He, like he, and then you st- and you could have had what happened later still happen, and we could have you know. But Lashley should be showcased right now, especially with the way the crowd is behind him. They love him. This is the most over he's ever been. And I'm happy for him. It really changed in Chicago a couple of months ago because I was not expecting that reaction. And ever since then, he's been hot in every city being U.S. champion and deservedly so. And I just want him to have solid feuds because in a perfect world, if we're still doing champion versus champion in Survivor Series, and I hope that Triple H changes that concept this fall. But the one match I would love to see very soon would be Gunther versus Bobby Lashley. That is the one match that would have me sold. But between that time, we need viable opponents for Bobby. And that's key to build up the mid-card scene for the secondary championships. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they better not wait until like the week before November Survivor Series and then do a bait and switch and not give me my Gunther versus Lashley match either. They better not. We need this. We need the people need to see it the streets need it damn it and hopefully they go there while changing what the stakes are for the smackdown versus raw matches maybe some nxt love as well we'll see what triple h does in the next few months as we transition to the mysterios versus judgment day and i felt at this point the show kind of took a turn in the wrong direction for a bit and i feel as if judgment day is still cold as act and when you have a no dq match why are we tagging? Why are we doing the rest holds? Why are we adhering to the rules? There are no rules. But the one thing I loved, besides what happened at the end, is the fact that Rhea Ripley continues to punk out Dominic Mysterio. Dare I say, one day very soon, Dominic is going to be Rhea sub. Man, let me tell you what. Rhea Ripley is is Dominic's poppy. Like, let's just keep it one hundred. Like, that's, that's 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 just what it is at this point. Like, when they like they they showed again her, you know, sm- you know, mushing, oh, you know, her uh, her man's ex out the way. <laughs> you know, it got that. That was personal because she ain't had to push her like that. She had to push her face like that, and then she yanked Dominic. By that rat tail he got, I wish he would have just yanked it off. She would have been the biggest baby face in the company. But I'm going to be honest with you. She stood out more than anybody in this entire match. I love the way they presented her as the centerpiece of, of Judgment Day. She was always in the middle. She was running things. She was in command. She picked up Dominic. Was I think she, when did Dominic, she put on her shoulders and slammed and uh, dropped with that electric chair drop on the uh, apron. She be punking this man. She has literally, you you know, you seen Blake's uh, Black Snake Moan. She has put that man in the chains like Christina Ricci was. Like that's what she done did to that man. That's what I, that's. If somebody could Photoshop that and put Rhea Ripley's face on Samuel Jackson and put Dominic's <laughs> head on Christina Ricci's body on that poster from Black Snake Moan and put Rey Mysterio where Justin Timberlake was, that's what this is. <laughs> That is literally what just happened right there. That's what we watched. <laughs> That's what I got out of it. 
I can't erase that image from my brain now. It's etched there forever, but it's true. I love Rhea punking out Dom, and I hope that he turns heel just to have the whips and chains <laughs> with Rhea. I look forward to that. I look forward for him like crawling on all fours, being sub, and Rhea being the dominatrix. Give me that. The dynamics of that would be fun. If you want to go TV 14, that's how you do it. That would give Dominic the edge he needs in more ways than one. So so now what we're going to do is we're going to put Dominic in that all black leather suit like in the first season of American Horror Story. Yes. So that that that's what we're going to do now. So so now we're about to call it instead of we're going to go from Judgment Day to 50 Shades of the Judgment Day. <laughs> yeah. So that that's what's coming next. Yes. We need it. I need this. Dominic getting bitched out by Rhea Ripley is great television. <laughs> and I want more. I want him to be her sub on all fours on Monday Night Raw and saying, yes, ma'am. Yes, queen. Yes. What do you need me to do? And he would do it. As long as he has that rat tail, I am not opposed to that. <laughs> I love it. So. The match is going on and the fans want tables. Of course they do. It's no DQ. And as the match hits a crescendo with the Mysterios in control for a bit, or so they thought until Finn gets involved, goes with the coup de grace, and then we hear some music. Yeah, we hear some music. Out from hell comes in. <laughs> <laughs> comes comes Edge with a new hairdo. This is third hairdo in the last three months, too. Can we talk about that? It looks like he took Rhea Ripley's jacket as well. Like did he I think he stole that wardrobe when he got kicked out of the room. I don't know what's going on. No, it wasn't that bad. It was fine. The return was fine. The crowd liked it. Um I actually think it would be really cool if those videos we were getting were not actually for Edge but we're actually for somebody else coming for Edge. Now, that would be a nice twist on everything, and I would not see that coming, but they're not that clever. Um, but this, I mean, it was fine. The Edge comes down. He starts spearing everybody. He actually starts treating this like a no DQ. They just start handicapping everybody. I don't know why Rhea didn't just come in the ring and start bodying people, because if she did, I would have completely believed it. Like, if she would have came in and just started whooping everybody, I would have bought it. I, I, I'd have been like, word, what are they going to do? What is Dominic and Ray going to do? And what is Edge going to do with her jacket on? <laughs> she will rip the jacket off and say, it's my jacket, bitch, and then whip his ass. That's what she would do. But the spears were lovely as Ray almost slips on the splash on Finn for the win as he hits double six one nine alongside Dominic to score the win on Judgment Day. And we have Edge staring down Ray and Dom. We don't know their relationship yet. Now, in a perfect world, I would love to see Edge and Ray reunite as a tag team temporarily against Judgment Day. I think Beth will play a role in this faction eventually as well. Dominic will be Rhea sub, of course, eventually down the road. But, you know, I just find it interesting that Edge was opposed to all the supernatural elements to Judgment Day. But he comes back, as you mentioned, from hell. And he comes with the fire. We got like a little remix of the Brood theme song. But good for edge you come back at SummerSlam, make a great entrance per the usual but you gotta apologize to me man you told me i wasn't shit as a fan about three or four months ago and you told me to go to hell and i didn't matter so tell me why i should cheer you because you got bounced from your group i need more than that edge i need you to thoroughly apologize for losing your way 
But in any event, welcome back. I think one of the big questions what we need to be asking is, who really owns that Alter Bridge song that Judgment Day is coming out to? Because we all know Edge is the one with the hookup, right? So mm-hmm. when are we going to have the Alter Bridge on a pole match for who gets to keep that theme song going forward? Because let's face it, Edge's song right now, it's not, it's not the banger that Alter Bridge could be. So what, what, what are we doing, Edge? What are we, you, why, like, I know y'all didn't have Edge call his boys and use one of his favorites because y'all know, he, y'all know they, post, they iced that contract while Edge was injured. That's how they got him back, and y'all got him using favors for a group that he not even a part of now. I, I, need, I need to have that contract in a ladder match, him versus Finn, for the rights to Alter Bridge. Actually, him versus Rhea. For the rights to the Alter Bridge match, uh, Alter Bridge music. Agreed, because like really, you let them kick you out of your own group. They take your music, God damn. and your graphics. They take your colors. They take everything from you, and you don't want it back. And you come back, and you don't even bring back Metalingus. How dare you? You bring me back some remixed bootleg brute track that Jim Johnson would never give to Premium Beat. But okay. I can't. I, I like. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you come back to? You think you know? Like, why wouldn't you do that to get the pop? Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I'm Perky Scott. This Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley versus Austin Theory got one and a half salty tears from me. This match got two salty tears from me. That's more than fair. And for Edge to not do what you just said to get the easy pop to open the door towards reconciliation. Now you got to work harder on Monday to tell me why I want to like you again. All you got to do, you think you know me? You actually fucking did know me the entire time. <laughs> on this day, I see clearly everything has come to life. Maybe, you know what, Keela? Actually, you just hit it right on the head why he didn't come out to that music. He was like, you know what? People are going to start using, listening to them lyrics and be like, dang, Edge. I get it now. I I fully get why this is your theme song, you douchebag. <laughs> He's in a douchebag for twenty four years. <laughs> well, he you said asshole. this is how he really. He said this is how he really feels. So you know, here you go. That's what you asked for, dude. Listen, I'm gonna need you to give me one of those um, Beth Phoenix apologies whenever you fuck up like dinner sometimes for me to fully forgive you. Okay. I need that kind of apology on Monday, but I digress. As we move on to Happy Corbin versus Pat McAfee. And under the Triple H administration, he says, you know what? Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes is too expensive. So Pat, we need you to get some new music. He does. We get a choir and it's catchy, but it's not Seven Nation Army. It's not going to be the automatic banger to get the crowd into what you're trying to do. But I appreciate the effort nonetheless. I did laugh the choir singing to Baron Corbin, bum ass Corbin. That was a nice touch. And this match, you know, outside of our next matchup that we'll get to momentarily, I thought this was the weakest match on the show. And by far, Pat McAfee's weakest performance to date as he almost saw the Lord at various points. He almost checked out of here, but he didn't. He held on for dear life for several top rope spots that went wrong, but he survived. He endured. And the one thing I respect about Pat McAfee is the fact that he is going to look back on this match and he is going to shit on it because he is his own 
worst critic. He'll talk about his great matches and he'll still say things went wrong. He'll talk about this match. He'll look back on and he would want to redo ASAP because this match, and I love him, was not it. On this night, Logan Paul was the superior celebrity wrestler. And that's a hard thing to say coming from me, but it's true. Yeah, I, uh, I backed the wrong horse when I picked my for my celebrity match as far as match of the night. I thought this was going to be it. I'm I'm a lot higher on than most with Baron Corbin in the ring. I think he's really good. We've seen what Pat can do. Um, this match wasn't... I, 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 I thought this was better than the Judgment Day versus Mysterio's match. Um, you know, I didn't think it was... And it certainly was better than the next match. But, yeah, I mean, it wasn't... It wasn't up to the level we expected. This was not Pat versus Adam Cole, you know? And I honestly, when you think about, you know, because Pat looked a little gassed, a little bit more gassed than he normally did. And I think part of that is he was tossing around Baron Corbin. Like, he was doing this stuff to Baron Corbin. This isn't Adam Cole that he's doing this stuff to and, you know, who he's, you know, suplexing and taking these hits from. Like, this is Baron Corbin. This is a big boy like you know what I'm saying like this is a a, this is a full grown man right here and I I think that played a big part in some of those spots that you talked about it took him a minute to get up there to get up to the height up to a Baron Corbin that height difference is completely different when he does that jump to the very top he ain't Shelton as far as that vertical he's got a great vertical but he ain't Shelton so when he's getting there like, because Adam Cole's shorter, so when he's getting there, he doesn't have to jump as high to get his hands on the shoulder. But when Baron Corbin's on there, that's a much higher base that he has to get up on to get his hands on the shoulder to pull himself up with. So that's why when he did that jump, you saw Baron Corbin almost really kind of catch him. Because Pat made the jump, but he didn't have nothing to grab except for Corbin's sh- like his sleeves pretty much. But Corbin kind of held him by the pants just enough for Pat to pull him up. I think that played a big part in this match. And that's just one of the little things that I personally noticed. And the only reason I noticed that is because that particular spot, that's a Shelton specialty. You know what I mean? Like Shelton did that every big match and he would clear it so easily. And I I always noticed where his hands were when he'd get up there. And Pat, I, I just think that's one of the biggest differences, that size of how tall Corbin is and just how big he is to move around. You know what? I loved that analysis you just gave because it's true. And I'm thinking about what you're saying in that. Let's think back to Pat's previous matches, Adam Cole and Austin Theory, smaller, agile guys. And you're playing to what they're good at. And you happen to match them for agility and for what they can do athletically when it comes to Happy Corbin. It's a size difference and Corbin's got some height on Pat, but it's more of a big hoss battle. You can't fly around with Corbin. You can't do the edge, the agile stuff you would normally do. You got to do the match differently. And I just think that he was trying to give us what we got to take over 30, what he did at WrestleMania against Theory. And unfortunately, it kind of fell short and he got tired because you mentioned he was the one being thrown around. He was the one throwing around a bigger guy than Theory or Cole, and that does not play to his strengths at all. Yeah, and, and I mean, I that's the big biggest part of it. And this, and for Pat, I think at this point, with what people kind of are wanting to see with the next step with Pat, and then maybe it's just me personally, but the next step with Pat is, I, you know, I've seen the greatest hits, 
and it's a, it's a good greatest hits when it's put together. But now I want to see him start telling some stories, and you know maybe somebody taking out a leg or you know working an arm, and he's got to kind of work around that, or he's got to chop a big man down. Like that would have been an interesting story of him trying to chop Baron Corbin down or something like that. I think that's the next step for Pat McAfee to really take that next leap in the ring because like you said, the connection is there, and that is going nowhere because. One thing that he can always do, and he can do better than probably anybody, maybe outside of Eddie Kingston, is talk on that mic. Like that boy can talk. He got the gift of gab, and he can he'll be able to talk his way back into any wrestling. You know, any get anybody hype about any match. But for him in the ring, for me personally, I want to see him start being able to have more wrestling matches and not just you know. Your your greatest hits match, you're not just your Shane McMahon match, and I don't I don't mean that in a negative connotation as it may sound because Pat has done it and it's a proven thing, but I'm ready to see him take that next step, and I think that's what he needs to do is just have more of a story in his matches for me personally. Absolutely, and that's another great point that we've seen what you can do. It's very flashy, but now it's time to tell a story. It's time to connect the moves to what you're trying to convey in the ring. And that includes selling. That includes telling a story. That includes the angst and strife of trying to win a match and trying to grab the audience emotionally. Because right now you're going for the pops of what you can do via setons and dives and moonsaults and vertical leaps. That's great. But we need that to connect to a story. You had that with Corbin, ironically enough, because he was a great heel throughout this storyline. But the match to me just kind of felt kind of patched together kind of herky-jerky in spots and Pat wasn't on like he normally is and that is a styles difference because Corbett is not a cruiserweight he's not a high flyer he's a hoss and in this case you got to fight like a hoss to beat a hoss and that kind of fell short in terms of what I was looking for as well because I love Pat down but at the exact same time you've got to be able to take that next step and you know we are talking about the bad bunnies now the Logan Pauls and now you you are the holy trinity of great celebrity wrestlers but now it's time to take that next step into being a storyteller that could really convey that point in the ring as well yeah and and, you know i think logan paul has taken like i i feel like logan paul has shown more progression from his wrestlemania tag match to what he did tonight than what i've seen from pat from even austin theory to what i've seen tonight as well um and one other person i want to shout out and i know we got to move on is michael cole i thought michael cole was excellent, especially during this match. You know, he he's he's outwardly rooting for his buddy, especially when he hears Corey outwardly rooting for Corbin. He's like, "Well, if, if that's how it's gonna be, then that's how it's gonna be." I'm I'm shouting out my boy. He was standing up to Corbin. Baron Corbin got this man cheered. Baron Corbin got Michael Cole chance going. Like I, Michael Cole was excellent during this match, and honestly, he was really good during the whole show. He was great. And I like the fact that Triple H had Raw take over the first half of SmackDown, closes out the show, and Michael Cole had a line. And we'll get to the main event soon because he was awesome. But Corey Graves made a comment and he told Michael, I missed the days when you didn't have an opinion. And Michael Cole says, that's changed. A lot of things have changed. Mm. And that was a shot 
and a line towards someone that don't work there anymore. And Cole, I was like, I live. I love that, Michael. You're free at last. You are a free man that is free from an old bastard yelling in your ear for 25 years. God bless. That was a statement and a say it with your chest moment for Michael Cole. He said that with his whole chest. He had it out too when he said it. Things changed. A lot of things have changed. We we got the old NXT UK. We got the NXT UK Michael Cole tonight. I, I I was very happy with what I heard from Michael Cole. Me too. Then he went JR in the main event, which we'll get to shortly. As we move on to the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship match involving the Street Profits and the Usos. And you know what? We was on the wrap last week talking about this matchup in our SummerSlam mini preview. And I said, this is how you kill a feud in three easy steps. You have 50-50 booking, Jeff Jarrett and Omos, and you kill the anticipation for this feud dead. But it's always about what you can do in the ring to revive my interest. And I don't know what happened, where they cut for time, but all of my expectations were shot after this match. I thought this was a disappointment and I never want to see this matchup again. They've done it one too many times and the outcome is going to be the same. And I just saw this was a letdown of a match and both teams are capable of doing so much more than what they gave last night because we saw it earlier this month in the same calendar year, but we didn't get none of that last night. Yeah, I uh, I, I think we both kind of touched on it. We thought the match would be good, but it wasn't set up to be better than what we saw, than that classic that we got. Um, also, Pat and Baron Corbin got two and a quarter salty tears from me. Um, yeah, this this match, it, it's hard to... You know, we can't say it's a bad match. They can't have a bad match. I, I just... They can't have a bad match. And even this match really picked up towards it. And it felt like it was going to hit that next gear. That's what took the last match over the top for me. Is every time you thought they were getting ready to go home, they took it up another gear and went another three minutes, four minutes. Every time they hit a big spot. Here, it felt like they were kind of going through the motions. Jeff Jarrett didn't really need to be here. Like Jeff Jarrett would have fit in either with the Logan Paul Miz match, even in the Austin Theory Lashley match, because Austin Theory is an annoying prick who Jeff Jarrett could hit the stroke or something and it makes sense. Like, I, I, he he was not in the way, but he there was no reason for him to be in the match. And I feel like there was a part of the audience that was like, well, when's Jeff going to get involved? You know, and, and when he did get involved, when the Uso threw that super kick to him, and he threw him to, uh, to Angelo. Angelo hit him with the big spine buster. Montez came off with the frog splash. The crowd reacted because they were like, oh, here we go. Jeff's getting involved with the finish. This is it. That's when I thought they were going to hit that next level. And it just stayed at that level. It stayed in third gear. We never got the fourth gear. It stayed right there in third gear. Montez hits the splash and we've seen him hit that splash like that all the time they haven't been working over the ribs or anything all of a sudden he's selling the ribs like RVD and he can't he can't get over to him he's crawling and then after Jay or Jimmy kicks out Montez is just laying on top of him with both shoulders down and the ref's not counting by the way and he was down for about six seconds 
I just want to throw that out there also. Like, come on, guys. Little things like that. Just You just got to pay attention. And most people probably didn't even notice that. Most people probably didn't even pay that no mind. And maybe I shouldn't pay it no mind. But I just expect more from them because I just saw what they could do. Even if you just give these guys half of that time and let them just go wild. I mean, like, anytime Montez or Angelo would start picking up, the Usos played the role perfectly, but they, those Street Profits work so well with them because each of those guys can pick up the pace on that hot tag so efficiently, so quickly, and get the crowd riled up so well and so believable. So you're like, oh my God, they're, they're, they're rolling. And that's why they work so when you, you would get those moments, but you never got that big explosion of a moment where they they get the hot tag, they're running, dive here, dive here, big kick here, big move, counter, counter. We got 10 minutes of that in the last match. We got 30 seconds of that this match. You know, I'm talking myself into disappointment territory, but it's just hard to do that when they don't have bad matches. I... This gets three and a quarter salty tears from me. And, you know, this should have been an easy four salty tier match. I think you're too kind. Woo! I gave it two tears at best. Mm. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it. I hate to say it. I mean, this match was just not it for me. And we had moments of it being good, but the Usos just slowed down the pace too much for me. When things get when things did get faster with Angelo and Montez, it got chopped off real quickly Jeff Jarrett wasn't really a problem but at the same time like what was his purpose he didn't do anything nefarious he didn't screw anybody over Montez was mad at Jeff for no reason when you were selling your ribs and like your ribs weren't targeted throughout this match so why are you freaking out like it's your fault you didn't make the cover faster then you're out of the match and throw you over the barricade and Angelo eats the the 1D for the win it just came out of nowhere I thought I was I was going to get a kick out to extend the match to add drama but just no it ends like that and you deuce the emphasis of Montez being the focus of being angry when this match is over are they going to break up the profits will they turn heel I don't know you got a lot of heels on Smackdown with the Viking Raiders and I don't see that being a favorable matchup for the Usos you need a babyface team to take these guys on and I have an idea under the new Triple H administration as, as to who that could be eventually but I didn't like this match very much and it was all down to how it was booked and ultimately how it was built up after Money in the Bank because they really wiped out my interest in this match via what they did on TV prior to last night. I guess my biggest thing coming out of this match and, you know, part of me did think that they were going to get the win here. I thought they were going to get a big moment going here and this was going to kind of be the first crack in the bloodline. I'm okay with being wrong. I'm okay with this bloodline thing running as long as they wanted to because I, I I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you as far as the Usos slowing it down, but I like that pace that they set because it, it fits their character. It fits the, I mean, it fits that entire bloodline character because when they do pick it up, it's high impact. You know, when, when Jay starts rolling and Jimmy starts moving, it's high impact and it, it means something. So I do get what you're saying. And you know what, Keela, you, you do this to me a lot and I, you know, I'm going to stay perky. So I'm not going to take too much off, but I'm going to take that, that, that quarter off. So I'm going to go back to three. I can't go lower than three. I can't go lower than three. I just, I feel like I'm doing a disservice, but I, I get it. Like I 100% get it because how do you, how do you do that with these two teams? And I guess my biggest question coming out of this is 
what do you do now with the Street Profits? With only one set of tag titles, what do you do with them? I mean, I, I dare say you send them down to 2.0 for a few months and keep them off on SmackDown. Give them a fresh look for a little bit. Let them be gods down there in NXT 2.0. Because you... I mean, I don't even really... I wouldn't even have them on TV for a little while. You got to give them a break. Because I, I have no idea what you do with them next. Yeah, it is really perplexing. Because I would have loved to see a title switch last night. It would have made sense to start something fresh and new. Because now I wonder, who in the hell are going to be the Usos? It has got to be a fresh team. That is not currently together on the main roster because they've ran through everybody. And I don't want to see heel versus heel with the Viking Raiders. They're heels. The Usos are heels. And my only other idea that I could see happening if they continue to jail a main event and eventually back on Monday Night Raw is the team of Mustafa Ali and Cedric Alexander. That's the only team that I can see right now, and that would be months down the road. Otherwise, I don't see a viable team that could give the Usos any challenge for those titles anytime soon. And you're locking down two sets of belts to a team, and they're going between two shows, but there are no viable teams at the exact same time. We've we've had this conversation before, and I think you've touched on a potential team down the road who can do it. And I, I think there are two other teams who could also do it. I still think there is a chance RK Bro could still do it. You know, because I, I think that's a good way to kind of keep Randy fresh is to keep him in that tag division for a little while, especially coming back as RK Bro. I mean, the reaction they would get for finally, you know, dethroning the Usos who took out Randy Orton to begin with. Uh, I, I think that's a, a pretty... Vi- Another team that you mentioned, Keela. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn coming together and forming a team. I think that is a very interesting concept, especially with Sami kind of infiltrating, praising, worshiping the tribal chief as it is right now. Kevin Owens has a long history with Roman Reigns. I I think that would be a very interesting way to go, and it could work because he's already got a guy on the inside. There's history there, both sides. So I think there are teams there but again, maybe it's going to, you know, Triple H in charge. Maybe we get the Creed brothers. You know what I mean? Like maybe we just get a complete jump start and then boys just start beating people up on the main roster. It's possible. I did love my KO and Sami Zayn idea a couple of months ago, but then an old man was in charge and he kind of forgot about it. It was a germ of an idea and you could see where it was going. But under this new administration, you could see that happening because it would make sense and it would be a great pop for both guys. And under Triple H, under his creative vision, Sami Zayn can be the baby face he's meant to be again and give Sami back his old music. God damn it, please. And now that, I, I don't know if he can be that baby face again. I don't know if you can tell. Because what made Sammy special, now we're about to go on an NXT kick. What made, for, for me personally, what made Sammy special during that run was that he came from an underdog. You know, he, I can't, I don't really see Sammy as an underdog now. You know, I mean, he's, he's kind of solidified as, you know, you, Sammy's still Sammy Zayn. He's still a former Intercontinental Champion. That Sammy Zayn during that time, he was working his way up. He had been losing all the time. Then he started getting that confidence. and that's So I don't know if he can be that, Sammy. But I do agree with you on that. He could still be a really great babyface. And him and Kevin Owens, them two playing off of each other as tag champions, 
you could get five segments out of them on Raw. That's an hour of TV time. Exactly. And I think what you're saying is true, but I think this Sammy would be more evolved as a guy that doesn't have to be a clout chaser to be over. Like I can be an independent guy that can have my own voice. Ain't got to latch on anybody anymore. I'm Sammy fucking Zane. I know who I am. I don't need to be a member of the bloodline. I can be my own dude with my best friend. And that would be the story. And you can't tell me Sammy can't cut that promo and sell it. And Kevin Owens would do the absolute most because as I kept saying, I think that Kevin has been Roman's best opponent for that universal championship. Their trilogy of matches were everything. And he was the closest to beat Roman on various occasions. And Roman found a way out every single time via low blows, still cage canary. And of course a last man standing match, which was almost a shoot because Roman couldn't get up on in time. Yeah, K, yeah, speaking of that, Kevin Owens put a tweet out saying, wow, they were still counting. They, they, they counted. They were counting even though stuff was getting thrown on. That's interesting, you know. That's Hey, keeping keeping the story alive. There might be something there, Keela. I'm just saying, I hope they go there. It was a German of an, it was a German of an idea. The old man is gone. May it flourish under fresh eyes and a younger mind. But I digress. As we move on to our semi-main event, featuring Ronda Rousey versus Liv Morgan for the SmackDown Women's Championship. This was the worst match of the show. I'm not going to mince words. This was not good. And I think this match suffered from just botched spots. The transitions were off. The on-bar attempts were nice by Ronda. And Liv was a fighter through it all. But here is a chance to establish lit to establish live as your champion to say what happened at money in the bank was no fluke that it was meant to be and we had this conversation off air and i think he was going to turn into salty scott during this match <laughs> but the ending of this match bothered me because you had an opportunity to do two things at once strengthen live as your champion and also properly facilitate the heel turn of Ronda Rousey, which we all want to see. It's long overdue. And somehow they got one half of that right and completely fucked up the other. You know, there's nothing to the match, which was just Ronda literally ragdolling live all around the ring, which is fine because, you know, that that's fine if you want to do that. But when you get to the finish and you, you touched on it, yeah, I was, I was really... The salt was really building up in me as we were getting ready to start. And I was almost salty, Scott, thinking about this match because you have Liv, who people are behind, people love, who is this plucky underdog who you can tell that story with, especially with the Ronda Rousey. The finish, you know, she's she's had the arm worked over the entire match. She's in the arm bar and she's got Ronda down on her shoulders and instead of her just holding out one more second or just letting her arm get snapped... Like a real baby, like that's what that's what a baby face would do. A baby, yo, a baby face in professional wrestling is gonna let that arm get snapped or pass out. They're not tapping out. She, how many times have we seen people pass out from arm bars, ankle locks, sharpshooters, literally everything that you're not even connected to the head with? Why couldn't I mean? Why would she tap out right there? Why would she tap out? 
as she's pinning Rhonda. That doesn't make Ron, that doesn't make Liv seem like man. I you know I pull one over on her. I saw the counter. I saw an opportunity to counter, and I knew I was going to have to take some extra pain and just hold on for a few more seconds. But I knew if I could get her down right there, she wouldn't even think about it, and I could get the pin. You can't cut that promo. You can't. That's the promo you cut on Monday. You know when you come out the next night. That's the pro where you where you explain your game plan and you talk about how you got her in that position. You know, I, I was you know I I've been watching her matches and I knew that if I could get her on her back, she doesn't really think about it all the time. I could hold her there for three seconds and I knew I would just have to take that pain. But no, she taps out. Like, what if the referee is in the right position and sees that? That's not that's not what you want your baby face to do to to look defeated. That's not making her look good. She's th- she comes out of this with nothing. Nothing. But if she fights that match with that arm torn off like that, hanging on, and she never taps. And Ronda had that thing extended a few times, and she never taps. But she does that. And then you have an interviewer come into the ring after the match. Hey, what, would, you know, what a counter. What was your thought process as you did that? You, do, you lay out what I just said right there. That's how you put your baby face over, your underdog plucky baby face. I mean, it's simple storytelling. Like, it's, it's Rocky Balboa. It's, it's, simply, it's simple storytelling, man. And they just, they almost went out of their way to make Liv look awful. I was almost expecting Ronda to snap Liv's arm, suspend Ronda and have the belt held up and have a tournament or something. Like that's what I was half expecting to happen. I I didn't like this at all. The finish was the finish was okay, but then I really thought about it. It's not good at all. This was not good at all. Because a major champion look weak. I go back to something we talked about before we got on the air with Sasha Banks versus Charlotte Flair, Roblox end of the line for the Raw Women's Championship. They had an Iron Woman match and all Sasha had to do was hold on one second and then she tapped out. Like, no. It's illogical. That's that's illogical for these these baby faces. These, you know, these, these baby faces that we're rooting for, that the crowd is supposed to feed into, that they're supposed to feed off of that they can't hold on for one more second. It's, 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 not, it's not a logical thing to me that they, like you said, she taps out at one second. Like, that's not logical. Because, because somebody of, of Sasha's cunning, because that's her character. She's a cunning character. She knows what the clock is. She knows how much time is on the clock. When you're a star athlete, a star player, you know how much time is on the clock. I, 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 you know, I, I don't like this at all. This, this gets no tears. Ain't Dang. nobody shed no tears for this match. Negative tears, maybe, just to be cruel. What, man? I am drying up tears. I'm trying not to cry for the rest of the show because it is. I was about to turn the goddamn on show up because it is. They, they get no tears. There's no Justin Timberlake going on here. Ain't no crying. No rivers going on. 
the river is dry. We're sorry. And the post-match, I have to say, was good with Ronda going off on Liv Morgan on bar submission again. She goes off on the referees, the WWE officials. So she's a heel. Good. But the way to do that is to have Liv beat her in that position without tapping to get one up on Ronda that leads to Ronda snapping. And it makes more sense because right now you've weakened your champion. And I'm wondering, Triple H, do you have any confidence in Liv being your champ on SmackDown because this is now your baby. This is now your vision of what you want WWE to be. And I think maybe you have some ideas of how you want this division to be built around someone else. Just do better by your champion. At least book them strongly. Don't book them like a weakling because that was a very weak finish. You don't tap out when you got somebody's shoulders down. Hold on. Send the message that no matter what you try to do to me, I still held on. I still pinned you despite the pain. You can whoop my ass once the match is over and you can do what you need to do to get your heat back. But in that moment, to clear all doubt, I'm the champ. But in this moment, it's still a question mark. Are you legit or not? And that should not be the case because I don't want to you to hit the emergency Charlotte button and say all is right with the world. No, push new faces to the forefront. You did that for Monday Night Raw with EO, Dakota Kai and Bailey coming back last night. Do something for SmackDown because right now I don't like it at all. So where I'm at with the women's division, what I see coming, and I could be completely off. I've been, I've been eating crow, so who knows what I'm talking about. But I see Bianca holding that title all the way until Mania, where Charlotte Flair will challenge her. I think whenever Ronda comes back, because I think Liv's going to hold that title because nobody on SmackDown's taking that title from her. I think Ronda's going to come back and destroy Liv Morgan destroy Liv Morgan. They've established a little bit the chemistry, the story with Liv and Becky and how they talked and you know all that stuff. And then Becky that'll be Becky's catalyst for winning the Rumble and taking out Ronda Rousey in their one-on-one match eventually. But then, I mean, but even even at that, you've kind of diluted that because Liv Morgan's already because Liv Morgan has quote has technically pinned Ronda Rousey. Liv Morgan has now become the first woman to pin Ronda Rousey in singles competition twice i mean what made the match special with becky and ronda was that nobody could beat ronda in a singles match that's what made it special and Liv morgan has done it twice ronda's going to destroy Liv morgan next time they wrestle mark my words to win that title back she's going as a heel and is just going to mow down Liv morgan yeah, and it's a credibility shot, too. And my only hope is that their chemistry gets better because it was oil and water out there last night. It was not clicking at all. Y'all might be close in real life, but that energy and that chemistry did not translate. That was a hot-ass mess. I don't know who put the match together. I didn't like it. I didn't like what they gave us. I like the idea of Liv fighting through those on bars, but those roll-up and those transitions were just a mess. And, you know, I know we got to move on. This will be my last thing on it. I'm sorry. I'm not buying in any form of Matt-based wrestling, Liv Morgan out-grappling Ronda Rousey and encountering any arm bars into her own rings of Saturn. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Not Liv Morgan. That, that's, that that's was not, a stretch. Yeah, that's not Liv Morgan. That's not what... like. 
people like at least this is what I at least this is for me. What I like about Liv Morgan is that she's not this technical wizard. You know, she is a little clunky. She is, uh, you know, she does kind of have some clunk to her, and that's fine. Like, that adds to the charm of when she does hit these moves, and she is a, when she was able to hit that clean step in the ladder of money in the bank, like, that's what makes it. She's not the technical wizard. I'm sorry. I'm not buying her out-wrestling Ronda Rousey. No. Sorry. No. No, 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 no. I agree with you on that, and... Just let's bury the match. No, Ugh. no tears, oh, no, no stars, nothing. Just a mess. And I love both ladies, but this was a disappointment. As we now move on to the main event, featuring Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, and this match was brought to you by Looney Tunes by way of Acme Academy. <laughs> we had Animaniacs moments here, as Scott mentioned. We had some Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd things going on. Well, a little dash of Yosemite Sam as well. Maybe some Tom and Jerry hijinks as well. I thought this match was fantastic. I thought this was on par with what they did at WrestleMania 31 seven years ago. I thought that Brock Lesnar's ring entrance was spectacular because he saw how long that damn ramp was. He said, listen, these people spent all night walking down this goddamn ramp. Roman took 20 minutes getting down here. I'm going to cut that shit down to three. He got on that tractor, rode his ass down to the ring. And this ring introduction, I hollered. Brock Lesnar, Cowboy Brock is that dude. And then he starts the match. Brock Lesnar, coming from a tractor, uh. from where you raise it, he, <laughs> listen, this dude jumped from that tractor, that lift, and delivered a Thez press to Roman Reigns in the ring. That was crazy. It took so much out of Brock. That was the only vertical leap he had because when he tried to do the barricade vertical leap, legs gave out because he used all his energy on that tractor. What I need to know is how much money did Brock get them to give as a bonus when he walked out on SmackDown? Because this dude is jumping off of tractors. Like he's jumping off of excavators and stuff like that. Like, what in the I, I he he had to look like, and I'm thinking like, yo, Brock's Brock's gonna jump off that, right? But then, then I'm like, no, Brock's not. Brock is a smart man. Brock is intelligent. Brock's not crazy. Brock's not jumping off of anything except of a pile of money. And this dude leapt off like the fiend at WrestleMania on Randy Orton, and it was clean and. I, the, I mean, what a what a great way to jumpstart this match. And Keila, I'm with you. I I think this surpassed their WrestleMania 31 match, just because of the hijinks. This felt like an an uh, deleted scene out of Space Jam 2. Uh, the ending, the way the the ring looked at the end, looked like a level on the new multiverse game that just came out. Uh, this was just. Let me tell you, I felt like I was watching Super Smash Brothers, right? I, that, that's what it felt like to me. Guys were going through stuff. And you know what? This, again, the bookend matches, I, I talked about it. Your top babyface, who I, I believe is the top babyface in the company, Bianca Belair. Your top person in the company. Actually, your your top two people, because you could really go 1A, 1B, or you know 1-2, but they're your top two head and shoulders, Roman and Brock. And they both told 
great culminating stories. This felt like a definitive end to the story. Um, please God, please God, keep these two out of the ring together um, for a while. I mean, when you, when you get Paul Heyman going through a table, <laughs> when you get Paul Heyman taking an F5 through a table, if that is does not signify that we won't see this again. I don't know what is because how there is nothing that you're going to do that's going to top what you saw tonight. You you talked about the the the, the front loader or whatever it is that he brought to the ring, um, and next thing you know, he's the wheels start turning. He done first he done lift put Roman in it, lifted him up high above and then dropped them in the ring this looked like something that uh, uh that, that that jerry would do to tom after he done got flattened or something pick him up and drop him off at the house here i'll be nice and drop you off after i just embarrass you or roadrunner to the coyote that's what this felt like right here but then he wasn't done because then he turned into pinky from or he turned into brain from pinky in the brain because he was like let me just flip the entire ring up and proceeded to lift up the entire ring at an angle. Um, if anybody remembers one of the Money in the Bank shows where Cesaro and Seamus were hanging on those ladders that were angled. Picture that, except the entire ring was angled like that, where you saw Roman just rolling off the ring like an avalanche. He looked like a freaking brown snowball rolling down. It was just... I, I, I've never seen nothing like that. That is that is legit, legit one of the craziest things I have ever seen in any type of live sporting event. I, how do you explain that? That was nuts. Keila, what, what was your reaction when you saw Brock lift that ring up and Roman just roll like a rag doll right on out of it? I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was audible. I could not believe it. Michael Cole was me. He said, Brock, move the goddamn ring with the tractor. And he got bleeped. <laughs> and Michael Cole, at that moment, the soul of 2000 JR hopped in that man's body. And from that moment on, he was on. Because that ring moved, that thing tilted like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Roman was rolling. He was just rolling. And Brock Lesnar, my God, this was so creative. And I knew something was up because I had to look very carefully, even before the main event. Those were not the usual LED ring posts. Mm. Those were different ring posts. So I knew there was going to be a stunt going down, but I was wondering what the hell are we going to do? But a tractor, a tractor, a tractor was used to move the ring and turn it upside down. And you mentioned Michael Cole. Yeah, Michael Cole started getting real concerned, like legit in his voice, because when Brock first hit it and it kind of moved forward and the crowd, everybody in the crowd, because everybody was into the match. But when this happened, that level, went. they went from second to fourth gear. They skipped third. They straight skipped third. <laughs> they hit it and kept going. You know, they, they almost stalled out on the highway doing that. And Michael Cole said, Corey, get out the way. And that was one of the most legit things I think I've heard Cole say because he was like, yo, because I don't, I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what they about to do. This reminded me of when Mark Henry and Big Show broke the ring and then John Cena and Alberto Del Rio proceeded to have a WWE title match in that half-tilted ring that followed because they proceeded to have a match 
after that, I, I mean, this there was another 10-minute match after the ring was tilted on its side. So I feel really bad for everybody who was on the other side of the ring because they missed the last 10 minutes of the match. We could definitely say that. Yes. Usos came out. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kula. I just want to point out one more thing and that there was a production crew assistant. It was he, he basically told Corey, get ready to move your ass because he was in the background. Like, move your ass, Corey. That 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 ring is about to move. So I knew something was coming, but I did not know it was going to be Brock using a tractor to move the ring. It was it was a spectacle for sure. Like this this is going to be, this SummerSlam, um, and I'll get back to the match. This SummerSlam is is full of just moments that are going to be played for years. Just full of them. Um, Roman hits a few spears. Uh, Usos are out there. And let me tell you, Brock threw one of the Usos. I think it was Jay with an mm-hmm. overhead. Mm-hmm. And he ain't go overhead. Mm-mm. He just went on his head. <laughs> that, that, that suplex did not go overhead. It, went, it was just a head suplex. Because he went nose first into the ground and just kind of slid on his nose. And I think that's because some of them shots that Jay started throwing, when he started throwing stuff on top of Brock, he was like, yeah, I'm throwing all this on you. You can, he was like, yeah, I'm getting all my reparations right now. All them suplexes in Germans I've been taking from you, I'm getting all that back. I loved it because he was mad as hell. Like, it that was, was not a suplex. What is this? That's a head suplex. Like, I didn't go over anything. I just went up and then down and not over. He did. And then we get Austin Theory coming out to think he's going to cash in. He's running out there and Roman says, nope. We ain't doing that tonight. He gets laid out by Roman Reigns. Brock Lesnar and Roman fight it out. And at one point, they're both laid out. They get back up for the before the 10 count. And then we enter Wally Coyote and Roadrunner as Brock Lesnar is not laid out with not one spear, not two spears. He keeps getting up. And Michael Cole says, count faster, chat. Damn it. Count faster. This is ridiculous. So Brock keeps getting up. And Roman uses both of his titles to lay out Brock. And the last belt shot works. And then they pile on with the announce table, the steel steps, the chairs. They pile on Brock. Roman stands on all of that shit to keep Brock down. And Michael says, I don't think Brock can breathe. Come on, Pat. Come on, Chad Patton, count. You're too slow. And eventually we get the 10 count and Roman wins. He retains the Undisputed Championship as of right now. He is 700 days in as champ, a huge milestone for him. And Brock Lesnar is buried literally under all of that shit. As we end SummerSlam with Pyro from the bloodline. But my highlight was the Usos carrying the lifeless body of Paul Heyman. And Paul is dragging his ass up the ramp, trying to wake up. And he cannot. And I laughed out loud. Paul Heyman also had another highlight when he came and said to Brock, hey, man, take the titles. Leave my tribal chief alone. We got 20 years between us. Hey, man, he feed my kids, bruh. You 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 messing with my paycheck right now, homie. Take the titles. Do what you need to do. But leave my meal ticket alone for 20 years, bruh. Just do me this one favor. Leave him alone. He was like, yo, I don't even care about the titles. I need to feed my kids. And Brock was like, word. 
let me get you let me give you my reparations for 20 years too as he put his ass to a table oh man this is this was a really good match four and a half tears for me four and a half salty tears agree this was a great main event and this is what i wanted at wrestlemania we did not get it we got it via this match brock went through two tables a samoan drop and the rock bottom loved it and i just thought everything about this match was so fun and creative and brock lesnar delivered possibly his last performance in wwe for now i know that he walked out of smackdown temporarily last friday but he was hoping he comes back soon because this was quite the way to go out and there is video footage of brock getting back in the broken ring to salute the fans which is very brave of him because that ring was very unsteady yeah, that was a that's a great swan song for him to go out on right now, and uh, looking forward to whenever Cowboy Brock does come back because he's the only one that's giving Bianca Belair a run for her money as that top babyface. Yes, so hopefully Brock comes back soon with a fresh feud sometime in the very near future. But with that, this wraps up. SummerSlam 2022. All in all, I thought this was a solid show. I thought it peaked during the first hour. It definitely picked up at the main event, which was great. So, Scott, what is your final score on the salty tier scale on a on a scale from one to ten salty tears? Ah, oh, man, I was at, like right after the show ended. I was at at easy seven seven point five, as we've talked about it and kind of broken stuff down. I'm at about a six point five on I'm, I'm six point five salty tears, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good. It's a really good show. Just some of that stuff in the middle, which just could have been better. Agreed. I'm going to go with six salty tears out of 10. I thought that it was a solid show and I felt the vision that Triple H had for the future. I see it, but I felt like there were some remnants of Vince on this show and I understand that this is his card. This is what he built and you want to finish it. And I do send some herky jerky things in terms of what they want to do moving forward. Now, the grace period runs out starting this week in a way because now you get to execute your vision with fresh feuds for the next pay-per-view going down in Cardiff Wells clash at the castle. The main event will be Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns. Now you got to build from there. Hopefully we get some NXT UK flavor in there with some alumni on that card, such as Gunther, Finn Balor, Edge, of course, that could be a matchup we would love to see between the two at long last because Finn owes his his country. And it's not exactly Ireland, but he owes the UK a show that they did not get during the pandemic a couple of years ago. And that needs to be paid forward via this next pay-per-view for WWE. But now is the time to execute the Paul Levesque vision for Raw and SmackDown. What do you have in store for us to elevate these shows? We got an idea with the Raw Women's Division, but now it's time to see how you're going to do things across both shows on a weekly basis. Because now the Vince excuse starting this week is gone because now this is your baby. This is your vision of what you want WWE to be. It will be baby steps, but we need to see some progression starting on Monday night. Yep. I'm excited to see what comes next. All right. And with that, this wraps up the review of SummerSlam 2022 right here on the Fight Game Media Network. I want to thank Scott as always for joining me to chop it up all things WWE. Yeah, this was fun. I uh, I enjoyed being Perky Scott on the free feed. But if you want to hear Perky Scott going forward, because I'm definitely going back to my salty mode, 
$5 and you get a lot of extra great content, though. Join the Patreon. A lot of great stuff on there. Um, yeah. Look forward to talking to you next week, Keela. Yes. We'll be back next week. The first full week of the Paul Levesque era as head of creative. What is God in store for us? We simply do not know, but we will know it will not be boring and it will be very unpredictable. So until next week, we'll see you then. So for myself and for Scott, that's a wrap on SummerSlam 2022.